In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is Thomas Sunday, which is the first Sunday after the Feast of the Resurrection. And on this day, we read the story of when the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to the disciples who were all gathered together in the upper room, and Thomas was not with them, and they were able to see his, his resurrected body, and that Thomas, when he heard from the other disciples that this had happened, he did not believe it. And so the following time when all the disciples were gathered together and they were all together in the upper room, uh, that the Lord Jesus Christ appeared again so that Thomas himself could see the, the, uh, the, the, the marks of the nails in his body. And we read this in verse 19 of John chapter 20, that the disciples were all kind of in hiding together away from everything around them because after the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified, they were afraid and they were being persecuted. And so they gathered together uh, away from everyone. And it says in this verse, then the same day at evening being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. The idea that they gathered together in a place and shut the world outside was because they had experienced a life living with the Lord Jesus Christ for three years. And after they had lived with the Lord Jesus Christ for three years, after they had seen the miracles that had been done, after they had done all the seen everything that had happened, after they were called to the ministry to, call, to become fishers of men, after the Lord Jesus Christ left them, that they couldn't just go back again to the life that they had before. They couldn't just go back to being fishermen again. They couldn't go and interact and engage with the world the way that they had been before. Before they had been called to be disciples, they were very much a part of the world just as everyone else was a part of the world and functioning normally and doing business and trade and, and, and everything that you would expect from any person at the time. But after the experience they had with the Lord Jesus Christ, something happened to them where they could no longer just go back again and be part of the world the way that they had been before. And so we read about how the disciples are gathered together in the upper room. We read about how they are kind of separated and isolated away from the rest of the world because the rest of the world, they could no longer relate to the world the way that they had done so before. They couldn't go living a normal life the way that they had before. The world had no flavor for them anymore. The world held no, like nothing good for them anymore. After having tasted the joy of being with the Lord Jesus Christ, how is it they could go back again to being fishermen? How is it they could go back again to living a normal life like everyone else, having, having seen the miracles of Christ, having seen the resurrection of Christ, having seen and having heard and learned from the Lord Jesus Christ everything that was necessary for salvation, they could not go again and live again the way that they had been. So we can s understand this in a, in a spiritual way, that having as Christians known the truth, and as the Lord Jesus Christ, that the Lord is the one who sets us free. And he sets us free from the bondage of sin. He sets us free from the expectations and the requirements of the world. He sets us free from the system of the world that judges according to a completely different standard than God judges. That we as believers do not feel, do not have to feel, that we are a part of the world the way that we were prior to this understanding and prior to this knowledge. It is unfortunate sometimes that as believers, that while we have the truth and we have the understanding of what is it that we should, should believe 
or what is it that we believe and how is it we should live, that we find ourselves still going back again and living as the world wants us to live and partaking of the, the, the things in the world that maybe demonstrate an attachment to the world and a lack of understanding of really what we have been called for, what is the life that we have been called for and what is the life that God is offering us. So we can think from a, from a spiritual perspective, what is the inner room? This inner room that the disciples went into, this, this inner room where the disciples went in and they saw the Lord Jesus. Not that they saw him while they were out walking on the streets, not that they saw him when they were doing their work, but they saw him in this inner room. The inner room is many things. One thing is the inner room is the contemplative life. The, the life that is focused more on the inside rather than focused on the outside. The Lord Jesus said to the people in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the, your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. The, a major part of the work that is done in the life of any believer, it is done in the inner room. Sometimes we think that the majority of the spiritual work that we do in our life is, is something that is done openly. It's something that, you know, we come to church, and maybe we are seen at church, we do a kind of a service, maybe we are seen while we are doing that service, maybe we do community service and we go in the community and we serve people. There are many activities that a Christian is called to do. But one of maybe the activities that is neglected at times, but the Lord Jesus Christ actually placed such a strong emphasis on it, is what we do in the inner room. Because what we do in the inner room defines what we will do everywhere else. Our relationship with God that is established and strengthened in the inner room is going to determine the way that we choose to live our life and the way that we see life, the way we understand the world, the way we understand our place in the world, the way that we are able to withstand suffering, withstand persecution, to forgive those people who harm us, to have patience, to have kindness, to be generous, to all of these virtues that God calls us for that really separates a believer from a non-believer is something that is established and strengthened in the inner room. What you see from the outside, what you see the people walking and talking and doing everything from the outside, this is a result of what happens in the inner room. The inner room is the focus of the spiritual life. The relationship that I have with God, the strength that I receive from God, the grace of God that, that rests upon me to help me to live the life that he calls me for. And it was in the inner room that Christ appeared to the apostles. He appeared to them in the inner room when they were gathered together in prayer, when they were gathered together away from the world, when they were focused on, on, on God. This is when they saw Christ. This is when he appeared to them. This is when they had a revelation of him and understood his resurrection fully. It was in the inner room. It wasn't out on the bustling streets. So while we, of course, have to live in the world because we are in the world and we have to function as a part of the world, but we don't have to allow the world to live in us. We don't, ha we don't have to allow the concepts of the world, the standards of the world, the requirements of the world to live in us, the desires of the world to live in us. Instead, we can live above this. We can live with our hearts in the inner room, focusing on the contemplative life with God. The second thing is the inner room is detachment. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it says, But this I say, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as those who had none, those who weep as though they did not weep, 
those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use this world as not misusing it, for the form of this world is passing away. Meaning what? Those people who their entire attitude, their mood, their happiness, their sadness, their whatever it is that matters to them is only the things that are in this life, that are in this world. The things that make me happy are the things that happen in this world. The things that make me sad are the things that happen in this world. The, the, the attachments that I have in this world, these are the things that bring me either happiness or sadness. He's saying that a time is coming when those people who have such attachment to this world, they, 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 they should live as though there was no attachment. They, would, they should live as though the things that are causing them either this happiness or sadness or whatever emotions that they have, as though it didn't exist. Because what he says at the end, for the form of this world is passing away. The form of this world is passing away. Certainly, the disciples could have mourned that their place in society had completely changed. Right? They could no longer walk about freely. They had, they had fear for the persecution they would experience from the Jews. They could not have a normal life the way that maybe you or I would define what a normal life looks like in the world. And yet they had a greater joy in them because the truth that had been revealed in them was greater than any truth that was found in the world. They didn't have to go back and be fishermen again. They didn't have to go back and have the same place in life that they had before. They, they, could, they were called to something higher and something greater. And even though that greater calling entailed suffering and entailed persecution and entailed difficulty, and yet for the truth that they now understood for them, it was a joy. They, they rejoiced. Actually, in the book of Acts, after the disciples, the apostles were, were persecuted, it says that when they walked out, they felt joy that they were counted worthy to suffer in the name of Christ. Like that was a joy for them. Maybe something that previously, you know, when St. Peter was afraid of persecution, he denied the Lord Jesus Christ three times. And when they asked him, you are with this man? He said, no, I don't even know the man. But after having experienced the power of the resurrection, now all the apostles are not denying that they knew Christ, but they are actually willing to die with Christ. And so this is something that is um, a, a result of this inner room. The inner room is I'm, 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 um, I have my satisfaction. I have my joy, not from the things that are in the world, but in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. St. Paul, he said, Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. St. Paul understood that nothing in this life actually brings any kind of joy ultimately. It brings momentary satisfaction. And the moment that those things that bring us satisfaction are taken away from us, we fall back again into sadness. But St. Paul, he understood because he said, I count all things loss. There is nothing in this life that I seek. There's nothing in this life that brings me any kind of happiness. The only real abiding joy that I have is in the Lord Jesus Christ and his presence with us in all things. Even the blessings that God gives, for certainly God gives us many blessings in our life. And yet we place our hope and our trust in the giver and not in the gifts themselves. In the one who gives and the one who blesses, and the one who is always with us, and the one who will not leave us nor forsake us. He is the one. And St. Paul makes this clear, that he, he left the world behind. Even though he was living, it's still in the world, and yet the world did not live in him. 
He, his inner room was a detachment from the world around him. Number three, the inner room is recognizing that resurrection is only in Christ. Resurrection is only in Christ. Many people, if you ask them, do you want to live forever? Many people will say yes. Maybe many people want to be immortal. Many, many people are trying to extend their lives as much as possible. If you ask people, do you wish death didn't exist? Many people say, yes, of course. We don't want there to be death. We want, there to, be, we want to be able to live and live and live with no end. We don't want there to be an end of our life. Okay? And that's actually because we were never created to die. There was no reason for us to die. There was, God did not create us with a time limit. He didn't create us in a way that there would be a certain expir expiration date and that we would die. And this is why death is frightening to us because it is unnatural. You know, we think of death as being natural, as being something that everyone experiences, but actually death is unnatural. God did not create us to die. He created us to live. He is the source of life, and in him we have life. Death is contrary to his nature. Death is not what God intended for us from the very beginning, and that's why death is frightening for us. We read in 1 Corinthians 15, For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. This is a restoration in the resurrection that Christ is restoring us to our original intended state, which is a state of immortality, that God wants us to be immortal. He wants us to never have to experience death. And so while the world is seeking immortality, they are certainly not seeking it in Christ. They are seeking it through extending the life that we have here, which is a life of corruption. This life, this body, this world that has been corrupted, this is the only world that they understand. This is the only word that world they believe in. This is the only world that makes any sense to them. So in order to extend life, in order to respond to this inner, inner urge to live, the only uh, response that the world has is, let's just live longer here. Let's just live longer. This is, a, this is all we have. Let's just live longer. But this world is full of suffering. This world is full of sadness. There's many things in this world that is definitely not ideal or joyful in any way. What Christ is offering us is not just that we would live longer. He is offering us a different kind of life, a life that doesn't have any corruption, a life that doesn't have any death, doesn't have any sadness, doesn't have any pain, that is forever in Christ himself. So this true resurrection this true immortality can only come in Christ and recognizing that Christ is the true source of life. So this is the inner room. The inner room is to meditate and to understand and to realize and in prayer to recognize that Christ is life. Christ is the only life that we have. We cling to him, we have eternal life. We don't cling to him, we have eternal death. And that's, that's the bottom line. Only in Christ can we live forever. Only in Christ can we satisfy that inner urge in each of us to want to live that is afraid of death. We cling to Christ. Christ is the one who grants us eternal life with him and resurrection from the dead with him. This is why we rejoice so much in the resurrection. It is the answer to all of the fears of humanity. The greatest fear that we all have is the fear that our life ends. And Christ responds to that fear by granting us eternal life forever. But we have to recognize it. 
If we look outside in the world, we will not find this. We'll find all kinds of artificial means that people are trying to do to extend their life in one way or the other or to enjoy their life as much as possible in ways that actually might be damaging to them. And yet, if we look inside, we find Christ in us through the grace and the work of the Holy Spirit who is already granting us immortality. We must just embrace it. The inner room is also the struggle against the hidden sins. The hidden sins are the sins that maybe are not manifest, right? Maybe they are not manifest. Anyone can look at someone who maybe is a murderer, someone who killed another person, and point at this person and say, this person is a sinner. This person did something wrong. This person is a criminal. This person needs to go to jail for what is it that they did. And it's easy to identify, maybe from the outside, people who have committed some kind of very visible crime that all of society can point at them together and say this person needs, need, needs some kind of punishment for what is it that they did. But as Christians, we are not called simply to follow the law. We are not called simply to avoid public sins or the things that maybe are very clear that everyone would agree is a sin. We are called to root out the hidden sins, the sins that are on the inside, the sins that nobody sees but God alone. Because we as believers, we believe that God is the judge and he judges us from what is inside, not just on what is outside. So we are not seeking to please man. We are not seeking that other human beings would look at us and say, yes, you are a great person. We, we only are trying to please God. We are only trying to find the favor in God alone. Why? Because we believe that sin separates us from God. And if the number one thing that we want is to be with God, then we want to root out sin. We want to cut it out, even the hidden sins, the sins that nobody sees, the sins that nobody knows. We are not content simply try to, trying to appear righteous before man, because again, this is saying that man is our judge. We want God to be our judge, which is why we don't even want to allow a hint of immorality, a hint of, of sin in our lives. This is the inner room of purity, that what is inside that God judges, not what is outside. In Psalm 139, it says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. Like you, you know me through and through. You know my thoughts. You know my feelings. You know my, my intentions and everything. And this is how is it that God searches us and knows us and judges us for. And so we desire to be pure, but that purity is not simply acting ethically. That purity is not simply being moral as the world understands morality. That purity is an inner purity. That purity is a holiness that can only come through the work of the Holy Spirit in us, a desire for, for goodness according to God's standard, and something again that is inside, that is not seen by anyone but God alone. Finally, the inner room is abiding in Christ and experiencing his peace. We can live in peace, and this peace does not come from our circumstances. It does not come because the circumstances around us are peaceful. There are people who live life with, with great struggle and turmoil and problems. And maybe that person in their circumstances, there is no peace around them. The people around them are not peaceful. The circumstances are not peaceful. And yet they themselves can find peace and have peace in themselves because their peace is not coming from the circumstance. The peace is coming from the work of God in them. In Isaiah 26, verse 3, it says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. 
The person who receives peace from God because he trusts in God, not because of the situation, not because of the, re the resolving of problems, not because of there was a, a big problem that I had and the problem is now fixed and resolved and solved, so now I feel good. Yes, of course, we all want this. I'm not saying it's wrong to desire this or to enjoy that. But this is not the ultimate Christian peace. Again, we're talking about the inner room. The inner room is abiding in an inner peace. There is an inner peace that is independent of our circumstance. What the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished in, the re in his resurrection, he did not solve the problem of persecution for the apostles. He did not make the lives of the apostles easier in the sense that they you know, could now go and be, you know, operate normally in, the pu in public and that everything was back to normal in their life. Actually, it was quite the opposite. They were pursued and killed and hunted down. Right? And yet, the, the, they had the greatest peace inside themselves because of this peace came from Christ. So as believers, we cannot continue to believe that we will find peace in the world. Actually, the, 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 the more the world deviates from God's morality, maybe the more actually we will find persecution and suffering in the world. And yet, this is not the peace that God is calling us for. God is calling us for an inner peace because his presence is in us, not because of a situation around us. So in conclusion, after the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified, the disciples, they had to go into this inner room. They went physically into the inner room where the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to them and appeared to St. Thomas on Thomas Sunday that we commemorate today. But he, they also went spiritually into the inner room. They lived not because of what the world could offer them, but because of what Christ could offer them despite the world. So we spoke about five ways that we should go into the inner room. The first is the inner room of contemplation. The second is the inner room of detachment. The third is the inner room of recognizing that Christ is the only means of resurrection and eternal life. The fourth is the inner room of struggle against the hidden sins. And the fifth is the inner room of abiding in Christ and experiencing his peace. If we go into the inner room, we will have an abiding and deep joy that cannot be touched, that cannot be altered, that cannot be taken away from us, and we will be able to walk in joy and to walk in obedience to Christ, hopeful, not saddened by the circumstances of this life, but hopeful and joyful in eternal expectation of what God has prepared for us. And so may God, during this period of the Holy 50 Days, remind us of the power of the resurrection, and that he is constantly resurrecting us again and again and again, and that we would abide in him and he in us. And glory be to God forever. Amen.